You're listening to the Movement Church New York City podcast. To learn more about our church, including gathering times and more, be sure to check out our website at movementnyc.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Mike Doyle. Well, on Sunday mornings, we're doing a series called Movement Essentials. And last week, we looked at prayer. And this Sunday morning, I want to teach on what's probably like my favorite subject to teach on, and that's the Holy Spirit. And before I do, let me pray. And then we're going to take, you know, about 30, 35 minutes, and we're just going to talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. And I'm just going to give you a little heads up. It's going to feel like a Bible college class this morning. Can we do that this morning? Okay. Okay. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, I don't want to teach about you without you. Holy Spirit, teach about yourself through me. And I know you're kind of shy and you don't like attention because your whole job is to point people to Jesus But we just pray for just a little bit this morning, Lord, that we could shine the spotlight on you and give you the honor that you're due and learn more about you so that we could flow with you, Holy Spirit. But Holy Spirit, come fill this space. Work in this room. You're the magic. You're you're, you're that extra to Christianity that makes it supernatural. So come fill this room. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's six things that I want us to look at about the Holy Spirit and It's such a big topic. I actually, you know, eventually I want to start writing books, and I would actually love to write a book on the Holy Spirit, but but there's six things I want to point out about him this morning. First of all, he's a person. Secondly, he's a gift. Third, he leads us. Four, he brings life. Fifth, he's supernatural. And sixth, he empowers us. But the first thing about the Holy Spirit is that he's a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not an energy. He's a divine person. And yes, the Holy Spirit does empower us, but when he empowers us, he's actually empowering us with himself. When the Holy Spirit gives us power, the power that he's giving us, he's actually giving us himself. The power of the Holy Spirit inside of us is really the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us and taking up residence inside of us. There's an interesting passage in the Old Testament where it says that it was talking about One of the prophets in the Old Testament says that um, the Holy Spirit clothed himself with that person. Isn't that powerful? That it's really the whole goal of the Christian life, Paul says, for it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. In the sense, it's like, I want to just like die and disappear, and I want the Holy Spirit to take over in my life. I want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that it's the Holy Spirit working through me. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, As Christians, we believe in a very unique God. We believe in a God, we believe in one God. We're monotheists, but we believe that within that God, there's three persons. There's the Father, the Son, and what? There's the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's why when we obey the Great Commission and we baptize people like we did a few weeks ago, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so in some mystery that we can't fully understand, you have one God eternally existent within three persons, and the third member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, he doesn't like to draw attention to himself, and so he's often called the shy member of the Trinity. And because he doesn't like to draw attention to himself, he's often neglected, he's often not taught about, or if he's taught, there's just a lot of bad theology. And I think that if the church is really gonna thrive in the 21st century, we're gonna have to really get strong in the Holy Spirit, amen? We're gonna need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit if we're gonna wanna win the world for the gospel. And see, the Holy Spirit, the reason why he doesn't like a lot of attention is because the whole whole responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. 
He's like a spotlight shining on Jesus. He's like this light right here. That's like the Holy Spirit. And I'm Jesus. Amen? It's like the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does, he shines the light on Jesus. And that's how you can always tell if a revival is real or if the Holy Spirit's really moving. Because if the Holy Spirit's really moving, then all the focus will be upon Jesus. If you're in an environment where Jesus is being lifted up, where people are falling in love with Jesus, where Jesus is at the center, Jesus is being exalted, then you can know that it's a true work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's whole job is to point people to Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer writes, he says, wherever the Holy Spirit comes, he will always be found witnessing to Jesus and honoring the Son of God. The Holy Spirit has all the characteristics of a person. He has a mind, he has a will, and he has emotions. In Romans chapter 8, verse 27, it says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says that he has a will. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit has emotions. Isn't that an interesting thought? Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And grief, it's an emotion, it's a feeling. Grief is deep sorrow. And it's actually heartbreaking to think that we could do things sometimes that would cause deep sorrow to the Holy Spirit. But you can't grieve a force or an energy or some kind of Star Wars thing. You can only grieve a person and the Holy Spirit is a person. And he has all the attributes of personhood. And this is extremely important. And I want you to hear this. It's so important to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person because if the Holy Spirit is just a force or an energy, then we can manipulate it or or control it. But you can't manipulate or control the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person and he's a sovereign person and he's gonna do whatever he wants to do. When I was growing up in the 80s, I know Richard Ortiz is here today. We have any other 80s people in the the house this morning? Solo's mom, okay, Solo's dad. It was like the best era. Wasn't it the best era, amen? It's like, you're like, oh, I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> preach, right, Rich? Okay. But when I was growing up in the 80s, we had this thing called television, okay? And we had these things called televangelists, okay? Which you're not missing whatsoever, all right? And one of the televangelists was you had a guy named Benny Hinn, okay? And Benny Hinn used to, and I actually... I think over the last four or five years, Benny Hinn has actually gotten saved, and he's like a real Christian now, so I'm, I'm real proud of him. But um, he used to do these whole, huge Holy Spirit conventions, and he used to do this thing, and I've used this illustration before, I've talked about it, is he would take these Nerf balls, and then he would anoint these Nerf balls, and he would throw it into the audience, and if the anointed Nerf ball hits you, then you would be wiped out in the Holy Spirit. That is absolutely insane, Amen. You can't do that because the Holy Spirit's a person. He's not a force or an energy that you can manipulate or that you can control. And so what you have to do with a person, please hear this, listen to this, what you have to do with a person, and the Holy Spirit is a person, then you have to develop, then you have to build a relationship with him as a person. And if you want to flow with the Holy Spirit, if you want to move in the Holy Spirit, if you want to walk in the Holy Spirit, if you want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and that's where the magic is, folks. The best sermons are the ones where I'm flowing in the Holy Spirit. You're like, that's true, Pastor Mike. Yes. The best worship moments is when the band is flowing in the Holy Spirit. And and when all of a sudden a church service kind of goes to this like other dimension, that's the Holy Spirit. But if we we want those moments to happen more frequently and more often, then we have to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit, flow in the Holy Spirit. And that comes by building a relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
and knowing like, what is the Holy Spirit like? What is he doesn't like? What are the things that grieve him? What are the things that quench him? What are the things that he values? And the Holy Spirit is incredibly gentle. He's incredibly gentle. He's incredibly kind. He's incredibly sensitive. And so if you want to flow in the Holy Spirit, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you have to build a relationship with him as a person. You have to know what he likes, what he doesn't like, what grieves him, what, what moves his heart. And as you begin to know that, then you'll begin to walk in greater and greater power. And I want to tell you, the whole secret to the Christian life is to continually walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he's a gift. Outside of Jesus, I think the single greatest gift that God ever gave us was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul calls him the down payment of our redemption. And what the Holy Spirit is, is he, one day we're going to marry Jesus, okay? Now, we're married to him spiritually, but there'll actually be a day, it's the marriage feast of the Lamb when we go to heaven, we're actually going to marry Jesus. It'll be some kind of like heavenly wedding ceremony, okay? But between now and that wedding ceremony, the Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to us. It's the promise that one day we are going to be with God forever in heaven. And so sometimes people will say, oh, well, you can't really know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die. Actually, I would disagree with that. I think you can know now in this life that you have eternal life, that you're going to be with God forever by the, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And you being filled with the Holy Spirit, filling, you know, experiencing the Holy Spirit, that is God's down payment. That's God's promise to you that you're saved, that you have eternal life, and that you're going to be with him forever in heaven. And the Holy Spirit is a gift that we just received. Look at these two verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil, and I think that's funny, Jesus just randomly calls us evil. He says, <laughs> he just like, it's like totally throw shade on us. He's like, if you then, you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is a gift. And all you have to do is open your hearts and receive them. But I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He only goes where he's wanted. He only goes where he's welcome. He's a gentleman. He won't force himself upon you. And if you don't want him, he'll just go, okay. But if you want him, if you say, Holy Spirit, I want you. I open my heart to you. Holy Spirit, I receive you. He will come into your life. And he's a gift of God's grace. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to climb some mountain in Tibet. You don't have to crawl up some cathedral in Mexico City on your knees. You don't have to pray the rosary 10,000 times. And I grew up Catholic. I've done that. You don't have to do any of those things. He's literally, he's just a gift that you receive from the Lord. That's all you have to do. You just receive him. You just open your heart and you receive him. Now, there is one caveat. And you're like, I knew there was a catch. There is one little catch, okay? Is that if we want the Holy Spirit, we do have to obey the Father. It says in Acts 5, 32, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. All right, so when you, when you believe in Jesus Christ, like when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you obey God by believing the gospel, because not believing the gospel is actually an act of disobedience, okay? So the first step of obedience is actually to believe the gospel, to receive Jesus Christ, and when you obey God by receiving Jesus, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then for those of us who do know Jesus, if we want more of the Holy Spirit, if we want a greater experience of the Holy Spirit, then we have to walk in obedience to God. We have to walk in practical obedience every day. 
And the more we walk in obedience to the Lord, the greater measure of the Holy Spirit that we will experience. Because he's what? He's the Holy Spirit. And if we want to know him more deeply, if we want to experience more of his power than by his help, because we can't do it in our own ability, it's, very, it's circular. Like, I need to walk in holiness, and the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to walk in holiness. And, and it's circular. It's a loop. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, if I want more of the Holy Spirit, then I have to walk in greater holiness. And we don't want to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit through sin or disobedience or compromise in our lives. Here's what we want to be. Listen to this. Give me your attention. Here's what we want to be. Here's what I want movement to be. This is what I want to be as the pastor of this church. And this is what I want for every single one of us in this room to be, is to be a, that's right, baby, is to be, <laughs> is to be a clean, consecrated, empty vessel that the Holy Spirit can fill with himself. Amen? Amen. That's what we want to be. I honestly believe the word of the Lord for the church of New York City is to prepare the way of the Lord. I think God wants to bring revival. I think there's a, there's a spiritual rain cloud that's coming. But in order to prepare the way, the church of New York City and the Christians of New York City have to be clean, consecrated, empty vessels that the Holy Spirit can fill to overflowing with himself. And the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to do that. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he says, look, I baptize you with water, but there's another who's coming. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fire. Bible nerds, give yourself a round of applause, all right? You're like, Bible, Bible nerd? Yeah, you're a Bible nerd. So, okay, so he says, and he, he says that, John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And what's the fire in that? That fire is the fire of sanctification. It's holy fire, purifying fire, cleansing fire. That's the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and burning away everything that's not of the Father. You know, you've probably heard this illustration before, but the way you purify gold is you actually take, when you find gold in nature, it, it's not pure. It's got all kinds of other metals and impurities in it. And so the way you purify it to make it like 24 karat gold is you take gold and you actually, you put so much heat on it that it liquefies the gold. You like boil the gold. And as the gold is boiling, what'll happen is all the impurities that are within the gold, they'll float to the surface. And then the goldsmith takes a little tool and it's called dross. Dross is all the junk that floats to the surface. He scrapes the, the dross off and he knows that the gold is pure when he can see his own reflection within it. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. He's turning up the fire of holiness. He's turning up the fire of sanctification to bring all the impurities in us to the surface so that God can remove them and so that when he looks at us, he sees the perfect reflection of his face in our lives. Amen? Amen. The more pure a diamond is, the more valuable it is. The more pure gold is, the more valuable it is. Because you know why? Because it's more beautiful. And Jesus wants to make us beautiful. He wants to remove all the ugly things inside of us. He wants to burn them away so that we can be holy and pure and beautiful just like him. And again, the Holy Spirit will help us with this. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what's actually the best way to overcome temptation? It's not to think about the temptation, it's actually to think about Jesus, amen? amen. Like if I told you right now, don't think about a pink elephant, what did you just think about? <laughs> but if I don't want you to think about a pink elephant, if I'm really smart, I'll go, think about Jesus. You're like, Jesus, you're not thinking about a pink elephant anymore. See how that works? 
Don't look at your temptation. Look at Jesus Christ. Don't focus on trying to not do it. Focus on walking with Jesus. Be so focused on Jesus, so consumed with Jesus, so filled full of the Holy Spirit, so filled, so filled full of God that days go by where you're like, oh, I haven't even struggled with anything wrong. <laughs> Why? Because you're so consumed with Jesus. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We pursue holiness by the power that the Holy Spirit provides because we can't do it on our own. Thirdly, he leads us. Romans chapter eight, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Galatians 5, 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. John 16, 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will what? He will guide you into all truth. So when Jesus was on the earth, if you were hanging out with Jesus, it was like the greatest thing in the world, amen? He had all the wisdom you needed. He was like a mobile ATM. He was like a hospital. He was like a rabbi. He was, he was charismatic. He drew crowds. Having Jesus with you was absolutely awesome. It was like the greatest thing in the world. It was heaven on earth. And so that's why when Jesus told the disciples, he says, hey guys, you know what? Look, I'm going away. And they're like, wait a minute, you can't go anywhere. <laughs> he says, I'm gonna go away. But when I go away, I'm gonna send you another helper to come in my place. And what the Holy Spirit does is in the absence of Jesus, who takes Jesus' place between now and heaven? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit operates in Jesus' place. And the Holy Spirit is here to be Jesus for us, to teach us, to guide us, to lead us, to help us, to direct us. And the Holy Spirit leads us in a whole number of different ways. He leads us through the word of God. That as we're reading the Bible, God speaks to us and he gives us direction. That's why it says in the Psalms that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He speaks to us through prayer. That as we're praying and we're spending time with the Lord, God speaks to our hearts. And often the way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and I want you to hear this because this will really help you, it's really important. Is the way the Holy Spirit often speaks to us is by a still small voice. The Quakers used to call it the whisper of God. And so if you want to hear the still small voice, you actually have to create time and space to hear the still small voice. You can't like rush into prayer and rush out. See you later. It's like, all right, the Holy Spirit's like, all right, bye. <laughs> Call me later. I guess, you know, it's like, <laughs> you, have to like you have to create space. And so what I do in my prayer time is I have time that I talk and then I have time that I just sit there in the silence and I listen. And what'll happen is the Holy Spirit will speak to me and it's a still small voice but you have to create margin for that. You have to create space for that. And all the best ideas I've ever gotten for ministry or my personal life or, or, or solutions to problems I couldn't figure out, as I'm praying and I'm creating space and I'm, and I'm listening for that still small voice, I'll get this little idea from the Lord that's like, it's like absolutely brilliant. And it totally works because it came from the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through other people, through pastors and Christian friends and Christian podcasts and he speaks to us through worship. Sometimes when we're having those, oftentimes in those worship moments, God speaks to me in those worship moments. He speaks to us through good Christian books. That's why we have a resource table. We're always encouraging you to read books. He speaks to us through open doors and closed doors. Amen? No amens. Okay, he speaks to us through open doors and closed doors. Oftentimes, this was how the apostle Paul would discern the will of the Lord. Paul was so awesome. Paul didn't sit around, what's God's will for my life? He just went for it, Amen? He knew God had called him to preach the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. He just went for it. 
He was always moving forward. And what he would do is he would look, where has God closed the door? Where has God opened the door? And he would go through the open doors and he'd be sensitive to the closed doors. And oftentimes, one of the best things God can do is close doors in our lives. Some of the best prayers were the ones that God never answered. Can I get an amen on that? It was that person. You're like, that's my husband. That's my wife. And then 10 years later, you're like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> if I had a handkerchief, closed doors and Jesus. <laughs> Not everybody ages well. Amen? So things happen, right? So <laughs> I'm serious. Paul, you know, he, he tried to get into Asia Minor and it was closed door, closed door, closed door. So then Paul, he's like, what do I do? He prays in the middle of the night. He gets a vision of a man from Macedonia. He, he sails across the Aegean Sea, goes to Macedonia, and plants the first church in Europe. God does eventually let him go back to Asia. He plants the church of Ephesus, which is one of the best churches Paul ever planted. Well, how did Paul know to do all that? He just was going forward, and he was just going through the open doors and, and, and honoring the closed doors. And also the Holy Spirit speaks to us through impressions. Sometimes you have a piece about something, and sometimes you just don't have a piece about it. And it just doesn't make sense. You're, for some reason, you're like, I don't know, I'm just not supposed to do that. And oftentimes, in a dating situation, listen to the Holy Spirit, amen? Yeah. And women, especially women, you guys are so intuitive anyways, like, like trust, trust your intuition, you know what I mean? If the guy feels sketchy, he's probably sketchy, amen? <laughs> if the girl seems like trouble, she's probably trouble, amen? So it's like... You know, don't sit around and like never invite anybody out in your apartment. Like get out there, you know what I mean? But just, but, but, but be sensitive to the, to the impressions that the Holy Spirit will give you. He'll give you a piece about things. He'll give you not a piece about some things. You say, well, Mike, where does it say that in the Bible? All right, in Acts chapter 15, at the Jerusalem council, when the Jerusalem council is trying to figure out what to do with all the Gentiles that are being saved, they come up with a couple little like regulations. And this is what it says. It says, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. All that was, was they just, they all had a kind of a collective sense, like, okay, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. Like, as soon as the service is done, before we go into the second worship set, we're actually going to ordain Solomon Smart today. Can we give Solomon a round of applause? Solomon's family's here this morning. Can we honor Solomon's family? And look, I was going to ordain Sola whether you liked it or not, amen? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but I mean, it's like, I feel, I feel led to ordain him. But also, everybody I mentioned it to at our church, everybody was like, of course, of course, of course. Because we all had that collective sense in the Holy Spirit that, yes, God's hand is on Solomon's life. God's called him to be a pastor. And all we're doing is acknowledging what the Lord is doing in Solomon's life, amen? What is it? That's an impression. That's all. Like, when I felt led to go into the ministry, it wasn't like, I started doing things, people were like, really, Mike? You know, <laughs> you know, are you sure about that? Everyone was like, yeah, you should do that, you should do that. And so that, they're just impressions, and it's a kind of intuitive, spiritual thing. But in all these methods, here's what I want you to hear is like, what I try to do is I try to create as many opportunities as possible for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. I try to have as many open channels as possible because maybe it's through a verse in the Bible, maybe it's through a worship song, maybe it's through a conversation, maybe it's through an impression, maybe it's a still small voice, maybe it's prayer, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's just some random thing. Oftentimes when I'm just walking through New York City, I'll just see like a little thing on the ground and God speaks to me through it. And so that's what you wanna do is you literally wanna have as many channels as possible for the Spirit of God to speak to you. 
And then you want to have your, your spiritual antenna up going, all right, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I want to say something, God is always speaking. It's just whether or not we're listening. And you can be as led by the Holy Spirit as you want to be led. Whoever's doing slides, go to the very last slide. I don't know if, I don't know if you can pull that off for me. Look at this quote by A.W. Tozer. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Revivals come only to those who want them badly enough. It may be said without qualification that every man or woman is as holy and as full of the Holy Spirit as he wants to be. You can have as much of the Holy Spirit as you want. You can be as led by the Holy Spirit as you want. You can be a John Wesley or a George Whitfield. You can be one of the great Christian saints. It's all entirely up to you whether or not you allow yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit also speaks to us through prophetic words, and that's something I actually want our church to get better at in the coming year. You know, I've had very powerful prophetic words spoken over me. And also, here's something I want you to hear, is that the Holy Spirit comforts us. Life is hard, amen? Amen. Okay, this group over here agrees. You guys aren't so sure. (laughs) I'm just gonna preach to this group over here, okay? So (laughs) this crowd's like, I don't know about that. Life is painful, amen? Okay, about 50% amens, okay? You're too young, just wait, hit middle age. Like my dad says, getting old is not for wimps, amen? So, uh, yeah, my, uh, but look, life is hard. Life is painful, right? And so what happens is we need comfort. We need comfort. And all, but oftentimes, though, what do we do? We turn to unhealthy things for comfort. That's why there's a whiskey called Southern Comfort, okay? <laughs> or we, you know, eat a whole bag of Cheez-Its and like binge watch Emily in Paris or whatever it is, you know what I mean? It's like, why are we doing that? Because we're just trying to find comfort. That's why there's comfort food, which is actually my favorite food, amen? It's like <laughs> biscuits, fried chicken, waffles. Can I get an amen from anybody out there? And then when you combine those three, oh my gosh. Just bury me in biscuits, amen? So it's like... But I want to tell you something. Listen, this will change your life. This will help you if, you, if you if you grab a hold of this. We can find comfort in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be our comfort, to where we don't have to turn to unhealthy, self-destructive things. We don't have to turn to drugs or alcohol or pornography or sexual sin or binge watching or whatever it is. Whatever your thing is, you know, hours of TikTok or whatever it is. You don't. We can find so much comfort in the Holy Spirit that we don't have to turn to those unhealthy things for comfort. Thank you, my friend. John 14, 6, Jesus says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And I want to tell you something. We're not going to walk in victory. We're not going to see revival until the people of God learn to find their comfort in the Holy Spirit and not in the unhealthy, self-destructive things that rob us of our destiny. He brings life. He's the breath of life. He, brings, he breathes life into things. In the Genesis account, God creates Adam from the dust of the ground, and then it says what? It says, and he breathed on him the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. The Holy Spirit inspired the authors of the Bible to write what they wrote. It says in, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the Bible come alive. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes just, just dry ink on paper and makes it a living book. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you through the word of God. He will blow your mind through the Bible. But the Holy Spirit's the one who does that. 
In Ephesians 1.17, Paul calls him the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And he speaks to us and he feeds us and he challenges us and he, and he transforms us. When the Holy Spirit was poured out at, at Pentecost, it says they heard a sound like what? Like a mighty rushing wind. What was that wind? It was the wind of the Holy Spirit. It was the Ruach Elohim of Genesis 1 breathing life onto the 120 disciples and creating the Christian church. The wind that has been in the sails of the church for the last 2,000 years is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that breathes life. And he breathed life into the 12 apostles and they would go on to be these giants for Jesus because they were filled with the breath of life with the Holy Spirit inside of them. And he made us come alive when we surrendered our lives to Christ. And he continues to give life. He can give life to dead churches. He can give life to dead marriages. He can give life to dead careers. In the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, the Holy Spirit begins to blow upon these, these dead dry bones, and from those dead dry bones, he raises up a mighty army, and the Holy Spirit can do the exact same thing in New York City, amen? amen. New York City right now is, it's a Valley of Dry Bones. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Amen. And the Christian church has been through it in New York City the last three years. And out of the ashes of all the destruction that's happened in the church of Jesus over the last three years in New York, if the Spirit of God can blow upon those dry bones, he can raise up a mighty army that can shake the world. He's supernatural. He's the Holy Spirit. He's a non-material spiritual being. You know, one of the interesting things about the Bible is that the Bible actually has a supernatural view of reality. The Bible actually says that the material world that we can see was created supernaturally out of nothing by the word of God. And so the material world is just one part of reality, but there's another part of reality that's just as important, and it overlaps the physical world, and it's the spiritual dimension. And the Bible says that these two dimensions, the material dimension and the supernatural dimension, the spiritual dimension, they actually overlap each other, and that we're influenced by the spiritual dimension. The Bible says that there's these holy servants of the Lord, they're called angels, and that there's these fallen creatures of wickedness, and they're called demons. And both of these forces of good and evil are actually influencing us all the time. I think that at the root of a lot of the problems in New York City, it's actually demonic. And I think we have been under this kind of demonic assault for the last three years in New York City. And I also believe that, you know, that I think that, I think Satan lives in New York, amen? I think he has a penthouse on like 57th Avenue, amen? He's on billionaire's row up there with everybody else, okay? And he's got a gigantic flat screen TV and a jacuzzi, and that's where the Satan lives, right? And so here's the thing is we're not going to like turn the day in New York until we recognize that there's, there's spiritual forces of wickedness that are opposed to us, and we bind them in the name of Jesus, you have to bind the strong man. You have to recognize that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. There's no human being that's my enemy. Satan and his demons are my enemy. And now that our eyes are clear and we know who our real enemy is, which is not the person next to me, our enemy is never another fellow believer. It's never, not another human being. Our enemy is Satan and his demons. Then we can begin to fight our real enemy and we can bind them in the name of Jesus. Christianity, I want you to hear this. Christianity is a magical supernatural, spiritual religion. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit adds this supernatural dimension to Christianity. He, he's the extra of the Christian faith. You know, before I became a Christian, I, you know, I grew up like in an Irish Catholic home, and, but we stopped going to church when I was really little. And so when I was like in elementary school, like I started exploring like 
out-of-body experiences and UFOs. Like, I mean, I was a cool kid. I just had these weird interests, right? <laughs> I mean, I was, I was a cool kid. You know, so I was like, and I got into like Bermuda Triangle and ghosts and out-of-body experiences and paranormal activity. You're like, what was going on with you? I don't know, but that's what I was into when I was in elementary school, right? Then when, then when I got into high school, I was just like obsessed with trying to find the meaning of life. So as I was a teenager, I was taking like hardcore psychedelics because I thought that through LSD, I was tapping into the meaning of the universe. Simultaneously, I was studying Hinduism, Taoism, uh, Buddhism. I got really into meditation. I was smoking weed like crazy and I got really into Rastafarianism, okay? And I was telling the first service and I got really into Rastafarianism because I was super into Bob Marley and I really liked reggae music, amen? Any Bob Marley fans out there? You can say it, it's okay, that's all right. This is a safe space, amen? So I'll tell you something really interesting is I got into Rastafarianism and I was like a devout Rastafarian. I know that seems wild. All the brothers in the room were like, really, man? <laughs> Just a white kid from the suburbs, you know what I mean? Like life is hard in the suburbs, you know what I mean? Sometimes your latte is lukewarm, you know, things are hard, right? So. So I got really into Rastafarianism, right? And I used to have a picture of Haile Selassie above my bed. I used to pray to Jah. I used to go to local university and I'd read the writings of Haile Selassie. And, but when I became a Christian, I, I had to make this radical break with everything to follow Jesus. And part of what I had to leave behind, I know this sounds silly, but I had to like leave Bob Marley behind, okay? And he meant a lot to me, but I had to go, love you, man, but I gotta follow Jesus, all right? My whole family rejected me. A lot of my friends rejected me. It was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. But sometimes in life, you just have to make these hard decisions, you know? And you just, and you just gotta make them and you, and you feel like time will justify those decisions. But that break with Bob Marley was like a hard thing. I know that sounds silly, but it was, right? Well, two years ago, I was in Jamaica and I was preaching at a church in Jamaica and I went to Bob Marley's house in Kingston. I actually went into the recording studio where he recorded Buffalo Soldier. Anybody out there? <laughs> and when I was there, I started talking to people. I started doing some research. And what a lot of people don't realize is actually Three months before Bob Marley died, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and was baptized as a Christian. And when Bob Marley died from, he actually died from a melanoma on his foot because his father was uh, British and his mom was Jamaican and so he, he got skin cancer and he died from it. But, um, but right before he died, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And you know how powerful that was for me? 28 years later, to be in Bob Marley's house in Kingston and basically to be affirmed by Bob Marley <laughs> and to go, Mike, you made the right choice all those years ago. <laughs> I can't tell you how, how meaningful that was to me. But here's the thing. You're like, what's your point, Mike? Here's my point is that, other than just a good story, is I pursued all those religions, and when I want to tell you about them, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental or mean, there was nothing to any of them. There was no reality behind them. There's no substance to them. And psychedelics was just a kind of chemical experience in my brain, and then when I'd come off of it, I'd feel horrible for three days. You know what I mean? Um... But I'll never forget the first night I walked into the church that I'd end up becoming a Christian at. As soon as I walked into those doors, I felt the presence of God. I felt the Holy Spirit. And I knew as soon as I walked into that room that night that what these people had was the truth because there was this extra, there was this supernatural feeling. I could feel the presence of God. And because I was like a psychedelic kid and a hippie kid and I was into all these Eastern religions, I was so tuned spiritually that I felt it the moment I walked into the room. And that was one of the things that struck me about Christianity was that it was real and there was a reality behind it and a supernatural power behind it. 
So then I surrendered my life to Jesus. I was totally born again. I felt like electricity went through my whole body. Then I go to Bible college. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was so filled with the Holy Spirit, I couldn't eat for three days afterwards. And it's just been like thing after thing after thing for like 30 years. And what is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Christianity, it's not just words. It's not just ideas. There's a supernatural power behind it. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We're not playing church. We're not just singing songs. These aren't just words. These aren't just ideas and concepts. There's a supernatural power and reality behind all of this. That's the magic, and that's the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer says, the church was never intended to be a natural and intellectual organization, but a supernatural instrumentality wholly dependent upon the power of God. And my last point, oh, actually, I wanna show you one thing. I wanna show you one thing and then I have one last final point and then we're actually gonna bring Solomon up and we're gonna ordain him. Is, um, so the book of Romans is the apostle Paul's like theological masterpiece. It's like his magnum opus, okay? It's just incredible systematic theology. And Paul was one of the most brilliant people who ever lived. After Jesus, he's like my second favorite person, amen? I'm biased. I think he's the smartest guy that ever lived, but you know, you gotta be humble about things. So, so he writes the book of Romans, this, this theological masterpiece. Yet at the very end of the book of Romans, he says, all right, having said all of that, ultimately what advances the gospel is not all this head knowledge. It's not all this information. It's not being intellectually brilliant. It's the supernatural power of God. And look at what it says at the end of the book of Romans. It's a long passage, and look at what it says. After he's written the book of Romans, you'll find the slide. Romans 15, verses 17 through 20. Look at this verse, okay? And I'm almost done. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. And then what does it say? Read this with me by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. And you don't gotta keep reading. So from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium, Elycrium are the Balkan states, that's like Albania and Estonia. By the way, our church has been asked to come do an evangelistic festival in Albania next year. And Scotland, so. So if you got an extra 50,000 lying around, come see me, all right? We'll find the money. <laughs> I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. Paul says, you know what? Ultimately, it's not about how smart you are. It's not about how intellectually brilliant you are. You need the supernatural power of God. And the last point I wanna make is that the Holy Spirit empowers us. And here's the last thought I wanna leave with you, okay? So at the end, actually at the beginning, at the beginning of the book of Acts, what's happened is, is so in Acts chapter one, what's happened is by that point, all right, so Jesus has given them the message. He's modeled for them how to do ministry. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. So he's paid for their, he's paid for their salvation. He's accomplished it. He's given them the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit at the end of the gospel of John. But having done all that, he says, there's one last thing you need. He's done it all. Everything's accomplished. They have the mission, the vision, the message, the spirit, everything. He says, but before you go out into the world, there's one last thing you need. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait 
for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, don't try to do anything for me without the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do anything for Jesus. We don't want to attempt anything for Jesus without the power of God flowing through us. Amen? And as we wait upon the Lord and open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come fill us. He'll give us supernatural power. He'll help us walk in victory. He'll anoint everything we're doing. There'll be that supernatural touch in everything we're doing. We'll see revival in the United States. We'll see revival in the world. We'll see revival in New York City. And we will see God move again as we open ourselves up to holiness and obedience and consecration for the power of the Spirit of God to flow through us again. Amen, church?